You're listening to The Outspoken Bible, a podcast from Scottish Bible Society with Fiona Stewart, Neil Glover and Jen Robertson. Well, hello and welcome to Season 4, Episode 14 of The Outspoken Bible. I am Fiona Stewart. I'm joined by Neil Glover and Jen Robertson and we are back from our summer gallivanting and we're ready to go. So hello to both of you. Hi. Hello, hello. Although I am, I'm mid gallivant. You're mid gallivant. That's true. I did think that as I said it. That's true. Um, that's true. You're at Abernethy this week. I'm, a, I'm, I'm down in Aberfeldy to record. Committed, uh, <laughs> but I'm, I'm, a, I'm, I'm a camp at Abernethy, which I'm loving. Great, Brilliant. and I think yeah. I don't want to steal Brilliant. any thunder yeah, from James not... off. So yes, yes. James off. James off. James Jim. Jim was off at school last week at a, a scripture union camp. Um, I've been gallivanting about France on holiday, so really, I'm the, the lazy one of the three. How's now, your French? Come see, come Now, we have had a fairly underwhelming response to our question about podcast length, but the good news is that those who responded seem to be generally in agreement that over an hour would be too long. Um, but they wonder if about 45 minutes would be too short. So we, we here's a wee email that we got from Jill Clark. Hello to you, Jill. That's fairly typical of anything we heard. She says, hi, all just to say how much I enjoy the podcast. I eagerly look forward to the next episode. Like your listener, Elizabeth, I have no problem with the podcast being an hour long. I too often listen to it in bits, not because of its length, but because I need to pause it from time to time. However, I agree that it probably shouldn't be more than an hour. If you do shorten it, please, please don't make it less than 45 minutes, but preferably leave it at 55 to 60. It's clear that all three of you prepare thoroughly beforehand and there's always so much in the passage to chew over and provoke further thought. It would be a shame to dispense with Glover's Off and Jen's Gems. I like the mix of serious stuff with light-hearted fun. A few minutes could always be shaved off by a bit less chit-chat. And there's a wee laughing face emoji at that point. Now, thank you for all your input and wisdom, she says. Keep up the good work. So thank you, Jill, for that. And I think you've uh, basically uh, dictated the length of the podcast from now on. So I thought that was an excellent idea. 55 to 60 minutes. I'm going to take great control of the chit chat. Uh, So there we go. Encouragement to all of us post-holiday just to keep it snappy, but the content chewable. Jill Clark has given you license. I'm not finished speaking, Neil. You're (laughs) chit-chatting. Jill Clark is giving you more power. Yes, she really has. Thank you, Jill. Uh, so we're in for 50 minutes. Please do pray for me on that. Right. Okay. So as ever. <laughs> what about praying for all of us? I'm sure they do. So as ever, if you would like to take part in the conversation and we would love you to do that, uh, then you can contact us. You don't have to tell us about the podcast length. You can tell us really about the content. That would be helpful. Uh, you can email outspoken at scottishbiblesociety.org or obviously contact us via social media. Right, let's crack on. Now today we are speaking about John chapter 13. And if you're on Light and Life, that's on page 43 of that gospel. It is a chapter of foot washing, bread breaking, soul searching and backstabbing. But before all of that, it's time for Glover's Off. Glover's Off is about the last ever episode of Neighbours. Did either of you watch Neighbours at any point in your, I don't know, television watching history? Yeah, I, I remember watching it when I was a student. Yeah, me too. I think it was that long ago. And I remember I remember not really, I, have a must, I must not have been at lectures quite a lot. Was it on at lunchtime or was it after dinner? Anyway, it was I just went day. It was both. Yeah, I remember lounging around a lot and watching Neighbours and not particularly enjoying it, but just sort of wasting time. So it's not a very yeah. positive memory. Wallpaper. I, I used to be quite... I, there was a period where I would base my day around seeing what had happened. I was so drawn in to the plot lines. And 
I wa- I haven't watched it for probably 30 years, but I watched it, I watched the final episode because I was curious. So my three takeaways from the final episode are, firstly, that there is a sense that you were allowed back in even if you hadn't been for ages. And that reminds me of the church, that you can go back even if you haven't been for 30 years. You know, that you have this kind of guilt of, oh, maybe I shouldn't have been watching it. I wasn't allowed to watch it because I hadn't followed <laughs> through. But apparently I'm allowed to still watch it. So you, you, you don't have to, I don't know, have paid some kind of loyalty card. The second thing, which I found deeply moving, actually, I don't want to give away a plot spoiler, but there was a storyline which had lain dormant for 35 years and was one which had resonated deeply within me at the time when I watched it, and they picked it up, and the the main storyline of the final episode was tying up that 35-year-old storyline. And I think one of my big hopes for heaven is that all the loose ends that were left on earth will be brought to fullness and completion and healing in the place of heaven, even if they've lasted far more than 35 years. And that's one of my hopes for heaven. And finally, there's a beautiful speech at the end by Susan Kennedy, who's the kind of moral heartbeat of the show. And she talks simply about how Neighbours has been this community of people who have loved and who have fallen out and who have had all sorts of crazy things happen to them over the years. And you cannot help but think of the church at that point and the fact that we are a community drawn together of all sorts of different people and we come and go but somehow there is just such a gorgeous richness in all that humanity and there's a lovely bit just at the end I think it's almost the final line in the show where Susan Kennedy is reminiscing about all that has happened and all who are still there and she's lost in a world of her own and Carl says to her where were you just there and she says I was at home I love that. So Glover's Off today is the final episode of Neighbours. Lovely. We're all going to have to go and watch that now. Yes. It's you've it's worth us, watching. You've, you've sold it to us, actually. It's yeah. good. It's good. Lovely. And is that it? not the power of story to draw us into a bigger story? Yeah. 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 And that's exactly what she does there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Good storytelling. Fantastic. Thank you very much for that. Uh, the sad thing I was thinking when you were using that first point was that... Uh, that's it. You, you may you may be drawn back having not been there for thirty years, but there's no more. So it's so it's different from church. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually come to an end. We're hoping that doesn't happen. Um, brilliant. Okay. Well, so John chapter thirteen. Interesting, isn't it? We we Jen, I think you've talked previously about um, as we've as we've talked through John's gospel about the the timing of all of this. That sometimes mm-hmm. we miss the you know the first Passover, the second Passover, the third Passover. We begin this chapter with a very clear indication of where we're at within the story in terms of its time and its place. So it's just before the Passover festival, Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Um, I don't know what my question is, but one thing that struck me as I was reading through was it, 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 we suddenly drill down into something very, very specific, don't we? Very specific incident. And 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 what you've just quoted, there's a, you know, we've talked all, often in the last number of chapters about how the time hadn't come, the time hadn't come, and then here we are. This this is it. Mm-hmm. And and it feels like in the action of Jesus washing the disciples' feet, it's like a kind of a picture of 
what the time is. So this is Jesus give. He's going to give everything. He's going to give his life. But he, in the picture of him giving himself to washing their feet, is actually showing what this is all about. And I was also struck by how Judas is so important in this chapter. Mm-hmm. I don't think I'd ever really noticed that before. Mm-hmm. You know, Jesus talks about Judas a lot. Um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and, and there's a conversation among the disciples about him. And, I, I don't know what the significance of that is, but and then there's a, but it'd be good to talk about that and then and the Judas as well that there's something going on in his mind, um, Satan or the devil or evil, yeah, that is pushing him out and away in a different path. So it feels like you, I said, it's in this very specific incident. It's a kind of reflection of the even bigger thing that's about to happen. Yes, yes. One of the things as well I was thinking was it's it's very hard to read it and not read a a, a theological kind of background over it, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Layer over it. Do you know? So, for example, with Judas, I was thinking about the fact that the other disciples clearly don't realise really what's going on. No, not at all. Even though it's, I think it's really obvious what's going on. But but is that because you know I know what happens next and I've heard a lot of sermons on this Mm -hmm. this chapter and you know I've thought about this chapter a lot. I've read it a lot. One but clearly themes, he is just in amongst the bits because they're all yeah. a bit kind of like, well, is it going to be me? Is it going to be me? I, I think one of the themes in the whole of John, some commentators called it Johannine irony. I, I don't know if it is irony. It's it's simply the fact that people are just operating on two very, very different levels at the same time. And, and the classic example of it is where uh, Jesus uh, says, you must be born again to Nicodemus. And Nicodemus says, oh, does that mean I have to crawl back into my mother's womb? There's an element of that where um, Jesus says to Judas, go and do what you have to do quickly. And we know that's about a betrayal. And Jesus knows that's about a betrayal. And probably Judas does as well. But all the other disciples think it's about some kind of business transaction. It's that Mm -hmm. idea that you don't fully get what's going on. And in fact, probably the whole washing of the feet is like that because Peter, of course, says, don't wash my feet. And then Jesus says, no, I'm going to because this is about you being clean. Yeah, yeah. Well, let, let's pick up the Judas stuff later on. So let, let, yeah. let's kind of go chronologically through it and start with the, the foot washing. Yeah. Um, now, we ha- we talked about foot washing before, actually, Neil, because you talked about it when we were, we were talking about the anointing. Yeah. Um, and your experience of, of, of foot washing. Um, something I read, I think it was, I was on Tom Wright again, but <laughs> one of the things he talked about that really jumped out and I thought was really interesting was he, he talked about the fact that sometimes we we say, oh, isn't it amazing that God um, chooses to do this acting like a slave? And, uh-huh. and Tom Wright says, well, no, actually, it, what it is, is isn't it amazing that God is in the nature of a slave? I can't quite get the distinction. I probably should have found the quote before I came on. Yeah, it's like, but it's it's the very essence of God is to serve. Mm -hmm. It's it's not not just that he's choosing to put on a you know I'm going to pretend to be a servant. Mm. That's right, and isn't that amazing? That's what I was going to say. It's not it's not an act. It's not a pretense, which actually sometimes we've we've done with this now. I feel like in in a church, especially at Easter, you'll get the leader, the minister, not in my congregation, but in in other places, the leader will will act this out mm-hmm. as if by doing that they are showing that they are a servant leader mm-hmm. but, but but when jesus said go and do this he didn't mean go and wash people's feet uh-huh. <laughs> he meant uh-huh. go and be go and be this person you're as i am completely a servant you must be completely a servant yeah um yeah. and I've, I've been thinking a lot over the summer of how i spend an awful lot of my time moving chairs and tables right yes. I, I, I've actually I've said to folk at church recently um 
I, I didn't realise when I said yes to Jesus that I would just spend my time walking about with tables and chairs because you just you have to set things up, you have to clear things away. Same as carrying boxes, Jen. That's right. It you never stopped. It, it never, you never stop carrying boxes. Yeah. Exactly. And 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 it could be and and I and I'm William Wilson, one of our listeners, and, and my uh, the minister at my home church, he just shows this all the time. And we were mm. setting up for a Friday event we were doing over the summer, and there was just an awful lot of chairs and tables required. I mean, hundreds of people came, which was amazing. But William had been up in his study um, in the in in the church, and he's got an open window to the study, so you can see him working on the sermon. This is a Friday, so he's working in the sermon for the Sunday. But he came out of there and came down and just started moving the chairs and tables and mm-hmm. uh, getting ready and then he was tidying up at the end and it wasn't like he was saying oh I've I've given up this important job to come and help you yes. he, he just does that because that's who he is yeah yeah and just so just what you've said that this is who God is it's not an act and because and I love that we the we soul in this in the second paragraph mm-hmm. because Jesus Jesus knew that the father had put all things under his power and they'd come from God and was returning to God so so he knew mm. all that. He had all the power, and that's and that's why he acted like this, mm-hmm. um, because of who he was. All the power he had made him do this incredible act of service, which links very strongly, doesn't it, to Philippians two? Mm-hmm. You know that 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 passage about laying aside. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I th- I'm I'm really struck by that. I hadn't thought of that before until you 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 have both just talked about it. That you're right. Sometimes. We think of that, you know how in some army regiments on Christmas Day, the officers will serve the men. It's a kind of um, let's all let's all reverse roles for a minute. And there's a danger that we can see that moment as, oh, just for a moment, Jesus took the role of the slave. But after the resurrection, he'll go back to being king again. Mm -hmm. And this rather, John is saying this is actually the very essence of Jesus, which is what you're both pointing out to this this is the full revelation of of jesus and just as the the foot washing in john many people have written that it it off it plays the same function as the last supper in in the other gospels and very often we'll we, we quite rightly say that the the bread being broken and the wine being poured are symbolic of the very essence of jesus so here we've got to say that the washing of feet is at the very essence of Jesus to serve, mm-hmm. which which then impacts, I think, how we how we view our relationship with Jesus now, doesn't it? Go on. Well, because I I find that quite a challenging thought actually that that Jesus chooses it it, it expands my view of God's love. I think that's that's what I'm saying to think that this is the nature of the God that I worship. And also, I was struck when I was reading this that he washed Judas's feet. Yes, I, mm. I yes. hadn't thought about that before either. That Judas is there; he's part of that. He must have had his feet washed. And I, and I think again, coming back from a residential event with young people, you know, there's there's just like there's people who are easier to love. There are young people who are easier to love, but every single young person at that event needs to be loved. Yes, <laughs> yeah, because God yeah. loves them and Jesus loves them, and so. If Jesus can kneel at Judas's feet and know what Judas is going to do and know everything about Judas, then how does that change my view of the people yeah. that I find difficult to love? One of the one of the things that the constant voices who's been with me in this podcast 
has been Graham Wall because Graham died very shortly after we started broadcasting this. But the last time I saw Graham was because I'd been rec- we'd been recording down in Glasgow in those old days when we used to be in the same space. And at Graham's funeral, the, the, the eulogy said, which I read out, it'd been written by somebody else, but I read it out. And, and it said, if you were to ask Graham what Christian faith was about, he would say one word, bodies. And I was always struck by that because I, I thought, really? You know, is it not by body and spirit? But for Graham's point, it, it had to be about the resurrection of the body. It had to be about the clothing and feeding of bodies. It, it was about Jesus coming in a body. And I thought about that as I, I came to this passage because I thought about actual foot washings. I, I don't know how you folks have done, but I have to say they make me squirm and squeamish even at the thought of them because I am hesitant to go near bodies. And that's what Jesus does here. Barbara Brown Taylor tells a story of studying this passage and then at the end of it saying, now we're actually going to wash people's feet. And she said there was an absolute, it was like a conference, it was an absolute insurrection of people because they just, they were very, very happy to talk about this and very, very happy to explore the multi-layered meanings of what, is it an act of salvation or is it a picture of the cross or does it point to Jesus's nature? But now we're going to wash actual feet. And suddenly folk were furious because it was about dealing with bodies start voting with their feet <laughs> yeah yeah they did they did um, i mean i find that question because jen you mentioned you know um a holy week quite often people would do it on on monday thursday wouldn't they and it, and it would become quite a you know you know what you're coming to and it's it's quite ritualistic but the church i was part of in edinburgh we used to quite often wash feet as a we would we would quite often make fairly um physical tangible responses to things as part as part of the gathering and quite often we would we would do right we're going to have people washing feet and you just came up and did it and there is always that well feel a bit uncomfortable I mean if you're female I've got tights on that's going to be awkward what what the state of my feet (laughs) but when you actually submit yourself to it it's a beautiful thing I think but but that was a fairly or you know nobody knew it was going to happen in advance it was all just a bit part of part and parcel of the service of worship so so i think i think you know sometimes when we talk about it people do jump to those kind of very ritualistic very organized events but but it, there's something quite beautiful about about springing it on people neil like you just talked about and, yeah. it, and it was such a needed thing in jesus mm-hmm. time wasn't it i mean your feet would have been bashed and worn and dusty and dirty and is it a bit like you know, you wouldn't, we wouldn't sit down without washing our hands. And and to sit reclining, I presume, maybe some of them, you know, to sit like that with dirty feet, with no shoes on, would just have been a horrible thing to do. And so you had to get someone to do it. So you got the most insignificant, doesn't matter, person to do it. So I, have we lost that as well, that it really needed done? No, but it's become something. You know, yes, because, and also you don't do it for yourself. Yeah. So I wonder if that's where we've got to, that you do things for yourself. Yeah. You know, you, you make sure you're presentable. Mm. Mm-hmm. It's a bit more like cleaning a toilet. You know, you, if unless you live on your own, you know, when you clean a toilet, you're, you're doing it for other people and you're having to deal with what they've left behind. <laughs> it's another residential experience. You're having <laughs> to deal with bodies. Yeah. You know, it's, yeah, it's, it, it's got to be done because it keeps everybody well and safe and mm. it's horrible and you and you've got to connect in a way that you don't want to connect with people 
so imagining it like those kind of tasks is it more understood what jesus is doing is he's not just washing nice clean feet that have come out of shoes but he's doing something that his disciples really need it's not just it's not just a symbolic act he's actually doing something his disciples need and what what, what should we there when jesus says do this what is it in our lives that we need to be doing that people really need that will make a difference to them and and is it also about the attitude to how we do it do you know so i i was just thinking there it's a less kind of gritty example <laughs> it's gritty when i'm talking about toilets less gritty example but, but you know if you if you've got people around and and you don't have as much to eat because there's not quite as much to go around and you eat last and you know all that kind of stuff but it's not just about the determination to do that but it's about the attitude that says i'm happy to do that because i want you the guest to be uh have the best possible experience of hospitality there's also a story i often tell and i've forgotten who the person was but it was a a youth worker in new york and he had a a big team of volunteer youth workers uh, working in the situation that they were in and, and people would often come and want to be part of that team to be part of that youth work and they would say to them yes come and be with us for six months as a trial period uh, and then we'll let you know at the end of the six months if you're able to stay on on the team and he didn't say to them but he knew that what he was looking for was someone who by the end of the six months was cleaning the toilets and if they were doing that they could be in the team um because their hearts were right and they were there to serve um so you're not coming for the power or the status but you're there doing what needs done now, I don't think we should say that that takes a while. I, 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 can't need to, I can't go and prepare my Bible engagement that I need to do because I need to clean the toilets. We all need to do the things that need done at certain times, you know. But it's, that, it's the willingness and the readiness to do something that needs done. Mm-hmm. And that's what that guy was looking for in his, his team of youth leaders. And the constant battle is to do it without showing that you're doing it. <laughs> yes. It's the so, do not show thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that, that comment about you know, nothing gives me greater pleasure than if somebody accidentally finds out something good that I've done. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. But but both, the, there's a consistent theme here that it, it's grounded in a sense of Jesus having loved me first. That comes through the fact that Jesus says, as I have washed your feet, you go and wash each other's feet. It goes back to the question you asked a moment ago about what does this reveal about the nature of God? If if our service is rooted in the fact that God has given everything for me, so for one of the things that it tells me is that I, I have to spend time recognizing how much God has given me, and then that is the, the springboard from what from which then I I serve, and then Jesus will then again pick that up later on when we come to it, where Jesus says, "Love one another as I have loved you." It's it's grounded in that. It's not just love one another; it's love one another as I have loved you. Yeah, which brings us to Peter, doesn't it? Hmm. And Peter's response. I I love that conversation between Peter and Jesus. (laughs) And I think it just shows again that when we talk to Jesus, talk to God, pray, you know, you you cannot, you can't just say whatever you want. You know, you Mm. you know, like he's just being so honest, Peter. And I I put a wee note beside it saying that conversations with Jesus change are life changing. Uh When we when we meet meet with Jesus in that kind of way. because at the end of it, he's, he's a different person, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well, because he wants to be part of Jesus. 
but but I feel sorry for him there as well though because he gets it wrong twice because he he says right are you going to wash my feet you can't wash my feet so it's like you're the master I'm the servant and 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 for me that speaks to the fact that we all love hierarchies even if sometimes we're quite near the bottom of a hierarchy we still defend the hierarchy and mm-hmm. so Peter's like no no we, we hierarchies you're the boss I'll I'll look after you and Jesus says no 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 I must wash wash your whole feet and then Jesus says okay you need to have this done and Peter says okay if I need to have it done then do the whole lot and Jesus says no I only need to do the feet (laughs) he's wrong a second time (laughs) and then we'll come to this right at the end but of course the whole chapter ends with Peter getting it wrong another time as well so I I have a sometimes I don't have a lot of sympathy for for Judas but I have a lot of sympathy for Peter because I I just think he's trying he's absolutely trying and every time he doesn't seem to get it quite right I, I get your hierarchy thing, but I wonder, is he also, is there a slight element of passive-aggressive control going on here? Because oh, right. to me, it reminds me of when he says, um, he, Peter's very quick to, to not want Jesus to go to the cross, isn't he? Mm, yeah. And it reminds me of that. Is there a bit of a kind of, well, I don't, I don't want to, uh, I don't want you to be this kind of saviour. I want to, you to be the kind of saviour that I want you to be. Yeah, yeah. The place actually I went where you went with that as well, though I agree with what you're saying. So I, I want I want the I want the hero figure who rides on the horse rather than the one on the donkey. But the other place I went, just as you were talking, was thinking he he doesn't want someone to look after him. You know the you know the whole thing, and I'm guilty of this. I like I want very much to look after other people, but I never like really like other people looking after me because that becomes difficult. Yeah. Which comes back to, you know, I don't like it when somebody else washes my feet. Because yeah, I want to yeah. wash my own feet. Thank you very much. Yeah, it's a and pride thing. You, but yeah, there's yeah. pride in that, isn't there? Yeah. And and he says, I'll lay down my life for you so that he'll do that. He wants to do that for Jesus. Mm-hmm. He wants uh-huh. to be the one that's dying for Jesus, not Jesus dying for him. And then that, then Jesus says, well, really, you're not going to deny me. That is a hard ending to the chapter, isn't yes. it? Yes. Because poor, P- poor Peter, it seems a great thing to say to Jesus, I'll lay down my life for yeah. you. Uh-huh. Once again, he gets it wrong. Mm-hmm. He doesn't know himself. It's funny that we the we new commandment I give you, love one another, where it sits in the passage, it seems to doesn't seem to sit right because Jesus is talking and he says, Where I'm going, you can't come. And then you get the new commandment, and then Peter says, Lord, where are you going? I, I thought it was a funny, funny place for it. Yeah. It would have been better over with feet washing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I see I actually think it works so I think there is a structure going on here in this whole chapter which the first three verses people call the mini prologue which mm. is mm-hmm. setting the, the scene and saying Jesus knows that he's about to depart so mm-hmm. he's going to get the disciples ready because it's, it's it's his hour and what most people think is that this is a, a literary genre that then we go into here called the testament so a testament is when a great leader will gather their followers around to get them ready for them about to die and normally what you say with a testament is you you make a few key points about just remember everything that we've done you then tell people there's there's going to be another leader who comes after me so don't worry i'm going to be gone and you're also preparing people because you're saying this is going to happen. So therefore, when it happens, it's not a surprise because it's all within the big plan and the great leader knows that. Now, there are a few differences here, but one of one of the big difference is because the leader 
in this case, makes such a radical act of not being the great man, of being the least. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. so that's it. And I, I think the whole chapter is about preparing for departure. And the key thing I'm going to give you to prepare for, de- for departure is this radical act of being loved, which will then inspire you to love. So when I'm gone, you're going to love just as I have. And, and that, therefore, makes the foot washing of a peace with the great commandment, which is the new commandment, as I have loved you, you love me. Uh, and it's all in the context of departure. And what I find really interesting is that previously, I used to think that the the, the farewell discourses of Jesus were John chapter 14, 15, and 16. But having reread this, the farewell discourse doesn't even begin at probably verse 31, where Jesus says, now I give you a new command. The farewell discourse begins the minute Jesus puts that towel around his waist. And, and this is the, the, and therefore I'm not given a farewell discourse, which is about a great speech. I'm, I'm given a farewell discourse, which is about my feet being washed and then Jesus asking me to do the same. And he's going to prepare me for what life is like and how to do that once he's gone. Which ties back to the Tom Wright point about this is not just an act. Yeah. This is the very nature. So the words and the and the actions tar- tally. Yeah, yeah. Word becomes flesh. Yeah, Yeah, I was exactly. going to say that. It goes back to the prologue. It um, does, doesn't it? He came and lived among us, made his mm-hmm. home among us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So to separate those two things out and to dismiss the foot washing as... Mm. as you know, it just happens to be, or, or you know, or, or maybe something more than that, but is actually to play it down in terms of its significance, isn't it? The other thing, I mean, just on a, a purely script writing point, I was thinking, you, you know, what you were saying, Jen, about that that seeming to sit mm. at odds. We, we don't get to know when the pauses were. Yeah, that's right. Do you know, I imagine he would say that and there would be a moment of just like, stop, stop and think about that for a minute. <laughs> Yeah, 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 and then Peter's. You know, it's often Peter, isn't it? Who's the one who kind of sparks up again? Lord, where yeah. are you going? <laughs> you know, I don't know, I don't know. So yeah, Simon Peter. Uh, I I would like to talk about John as well. Yeah. yeah. So I had a thought whilst I was reading that you know he's the one who's reclining. So they are reclining, Jen, and yeah, yeah. you know he's reclining on Jesus' shoulder. I I have always read this as every word that Jesus said is spoken to the whole group. But maybe it wasn't. Maybe some of it was just spoken to John. Because John's the one who asks him, isn't he? He's the one who's, who's um, I don't know the verse numbers because I'm working from light and life. But Peter motioned to the disciples and said, ask him which one he means. And leaning back against Jesus, he asked him, Lord, who is it? And, and that just made me think, well, I wonder if there's moments when some of what we're hearing is just spoken to John. So do they all know that the one, the one I'll give the piece of bread to is the one? Or does only John have that? I mean, I might be taking this down a red herring. I don't know. That would make sense if it was, if John asks that question, who is it? And Jesus explains it's the one he'll dip the bread in. So nobody else is really listening to that. Yeah. And then when, when he says, what you're about to do, do quickly. But they hear that, but so they think he's just sending them out to do something with the money. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. But there's this unsettling among the group, isn't there? Again, yeah. it reminds me a bit of SU Holiday again, just because I've just been in that, you know, like... <laughs> something going on the team the team are saying well, what's going on what decisions are being made you know like uh like any community you know the it's, it's so real uh, how they're feeling sort of aware of something but they they don't get the whole picture they don't know the severity of what judas is going to do and what's going on in judas's head and, and that wee bit when judas goes out into the dark and it was night mm. yes that reminded me of the prologue, prologue as well 
and the light, the, the utter, and that's when, and then after Jesus is gone into the night, that's when Jesus says, um, I, I'm going to be glorified, isn't it? That's, that's the next thing he says. So that in the deepest darkness, the light, the light is about to shine. And he, and he uses that word four times, five times. The Son word? of Man is glorified. Yeah. God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son in him and will glorify him at once. It's five times Yeah, yeah. Mm. In, that, in that one section. Yeah. Can I go back to the beloved disciple? Sorry. Mm. Well, yes. <laughs> um, I've, I'm so grateful for him because he's a positive male role model. Um, but now, you can come back at me if if you want, we we had this conversation earlier, didn't we, in the, a previous podcast about positive male disciples. But I still feel there is an absence of, for me as a man, there's there's an absence of positive male discipleship in the Gospels. Whereas I think women have got all the Marys and quite a few other folks as well, Martha as well, and the, and I'm so grateful because he's at least one male disciple gets it right. I think there's there's a danger that if you tell the gospel as the disciples always get it wrong, always, all mm. the time, mm. then they, it just becomes a bit pointless. You're like thinking, well, if they always get it wrong all the time. What's the point in trying? And here's, here's the beloved disciple who gets it right, who leans into Jesus's breast. And that's a, also a reference to the prologue because it's about the, the son leaning into the breast of the father. He's the one who's prepared to listen and understand Jesus. And then, of course, he's the one disciple who's present at the cross at the very end. So I'm just really, really grateful for the beloved disciple offering a positive role model of, of male discipleship. Yeah, I, I think that's great. I'm not disagreeing with you, <laughs> but <laughs> there are a lot more examples of male discipleship than female. <laughs> in the yeah, gospel. but they're negative. I know, but but I mean, you just have to be a little bit careful, I think, with that because the the women tend to be the hidden figures. Okay, and there's not yeah, there's not a lot said about them either. So Correct. The, the snippets. <laughs> I, I don't disagree with what you're saying. I think your point stands. Yeah. And I think nothing. I've been thinking about um, female male role models this week because of the English women's football team victory yeah. on Sunday night yeah. um, over Germany, and I was I found myself quite emotional watching it. Because as a wee girl, all I wanted to do was play football. And I was thinking if I'd had women like that to mm. watch. Yes. When, and they were there in the 70s, they were just, but you just didn't see them. Uh-huh. But yeah. if I'd been able to watch women like that playing football like that, I'd have known that women were footballers. But I thought, I was just told and thought that you couldn't be a footballer if you were a girl. And so... I think what you're saying it is it is really important that we see people who are us. We know that we know in lot lot. You got it. It's said a lot, isn't it? If you if you don't see and hear people like you doing things that you want to do, then it's harder for you to do them. Yeah, you um, can't see it. You can't be it. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And that obviously has a wider application across oh, the, huge. the race yeah. discussion and yeah, and and wider than that. Yeah, yeah. So are we? Have we've said all we want to say on John. Is there anything else we want to say on him, or can we move on to talk about Judas? Yeah, I'm, I'm. It's funny. I'm a lot happier to talk about John than I am about Judas. It's uh-huh, really dark, yeah. isn't it? It's difficult, isn't it? Uh-huh. The idea uh-huh. of the devil getting into him. I, I don't know. Some some um, some commentators try to avoid this by saying, "Oh, this is just a, a word picture for the fact that Jesus Judas had now made up his mind." But I think John would have been perfectly capable of saying that if he'd wanted to. It's a much 
I hate the idea of somebody being possessed by the devil. Mm-hmm. It, I'm fairly ignorant on this, but but it, when when it talks about Satan entering into him, um, are we? I, we have a very personified view, don't we, of of the devil? Am I right in thinking that that might be a less personified, so less of less of a possession and and more of a you know the spirit of evil enters him? I mean, I don't know. It's it's hard because yeah, I'm just checking here. It does say the Satan, the yeah. Satan enters him. So it's yeah. a, it could be a power that takes me back to the first chapter of Job where the Satan probably isn't the devil at that point it's an angel in the court of God who acts as the prosecuting attorney it means Mm -hmm. the accuser however it's harder to get away from here because right at the very start of the chapter it says the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas it seems possibly that the two are being used interchangeably Mm -hmm. um I it it feels hard. I, I think what's interesting is it happens at the very point of the taking of the bread, which is a very intimate moment at an ancient mm. meal. So it seems that the maximum point of showed intimacy or paraded intimacy is also the point at which the Satan enters because it's it's so at odds with what's really happening. Yeah. Um, a bit like the betrayal by the kiss. It's that very intimate moment which actually disguises a, a moment of utter treachery. I don't know. I can't escape from the fact that we live in a spiritual world mm-hmm. and there is spiritual darkness as well as the spiritual light and and people, you know, when you try to deny that, you can't. Um, yeah. I always remember, I've told this story before, a guy who was in my congregation in Cambus Lang who'd been in an army barracks, which was very near Belson, about 10 years after the war, mm. and he just spoke about how it was such a dark place. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there is a, a spiritual darkness in the world. I think that's right, and I, I think the, the the danger is sometimes we assign it to places like Belson, mm. and and we don't have an alertness to to it around us as well. I, I was speaking to somebody the other day, actually, just and wasn't in passing. It was quite a profound conversation we had, but um, we're talking about strongholds in the particular area where mm. where she lives. Um. And they're rooted in all sorts, you know, there's a lot of Freemasonry, there's a lot of, you know, we, we, we were just kind of exploring some of those things. And it struck me as I was I was driving home afterwards, is we, we often, even as Christians, and as, you know, fairly mature Christians, we we, we don't have those conversations. We, we don't necessarily acknowledge that some of the, the, the presenting issues that you might mm. see, so we were actually talking about kind of behavioral stuff within a, a school context, some of that has spiritual rootedness, doesn't it? In our communities, we're a wee bit afraid of of being a bit wacko and claiming everything to be spiritual. Yeah, but if if to say that all the world is spiritual, then I think you have to then acknowledge the fact that some of that is a dark spirituality as well as a light spirituality. If um, whether we go with God or go away from God is all about choices. Mm -hmm. You know, if you think if we think of Adam and Eve and that story of the first choice is there something in the judas story that it's choice after choice after choice Mm. that take you further and further into darkness and and if we do think of the most evil things we can imagine or evil or people that have shown the worst evil we can imagine you know they, they didn't start off 
where am I going with it? As a baby, you know, I remember my dad, this is my, my dad's story, but when the, the, the Dumbleen tragedy happened, I remember him saying that the perpetrator of that crime was also once a primary one boy. Yes. Mm. Um, and, and, and awful, awful choices were made and all the influences that a- end up with someone doing something so evil that we, we just completely recoil from it. So where is this, when it says that Satan enters and, and he's take, and he's, that's the way he goes, is that, is it choice? Is it human choice? Because I worry that it's a sense that the person's kind of consumed. Or they have, uh-huh. they have and no, they have no free will. They have no ability to make good decisions anymore. It's a really tricky area, isn't it? Yeah, and I, th- I mean, I think there's a couple of things in there because I, th- I think that's that's right. I think as society, it it, it can be a we we, we use a scapegoat, don't we? Mm-hmm. So so we we put all the evil onto Hitler, and we yeah. we 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 cast those who are you know horrendously evil as horrendously evil in order to to somehow make them less human. Stop us, yes, and stop us examining our own hearts. Yeah. So I, I think yeah. there's I think there's a bit of that goes on. Um, interestingly, slightly aside, I was listening to Alistair Cavill and Rory Stewart's podcast the other day, Rest is Politics, mm-hmm. and they actually had a conversation about about Hitler and about, um, you know, be, be, because it's so difficult to touch on the subject of Hitler's personality. Actually, he was a good speechwriter, was effectively mm-hmm. what they were saying. It's just really interesting to think about. Um, the other thing I was going to say, when you said about choices, Jen, I mm-hmm. think there's that other thing of, of habit. We know that habit forms character. Yeah. And so when habitually we make choices either towards Jesus or away from Jesus, yeah. it it does desensitize us, doesn't yeah. it? And so he has habitually, Judas has habitually been making choices. So we saw it in the the washing of the feet episode, where he entirely missed the point of what was going oh, on. Oh, the anointing, the by anointing. the way. Anointing, yeah. sorry. Sorry, sorry. It's, yeah, the anointing, not the washing. So he was feet. taking money from the purse. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, there uh-huh. was a consistent act. But there is also, so the place this also goes to with me is the whole thing about Pharaoh's heart being hardened. And if you yeah. if you go to the story of Pharaoh in Exodus, you see that there are certain points at which his heart is hardened and there are other points at which his his own choices cause his own heart to be hardened. So there is an interplay of both forces which act upon Pharaoh and then choices within Pharaoh. And I wonder if it's the same with Judas, because there is certainly also the case that at some points it feels almost, if I can use the word fated, it feels that he's fated towards that. But as you've said earlier, it's also points at which he makes choices. So there's an interplay between that. And isn't that human nature that there's an interplay between the human choices and then the forces that act Mm. upon us? The next place that always goes to with me is Pharaoh is cited at the beginning of Romans chapter 9, where Paul is talking about the the Jewish people or the Israelites having not turned to Christ in faith. To be very careful how we phrase some of the arguments here. But by the end of chapter 11, the Israelites have come back in. So there seems to be a journey. And I, I don't know, there's always a hope for me that they, well, for a start, Pharaoh can come back in, the Israelites come back in. And maybe one day, I don't know, this is controversial, but there is a lot of pictures in Christian art of this, of, you know, Jesus going into hell to save Judas or St. Brendan going to hell to save Judas. You know, who knows? But, um, yeah, I don't know. It's it's the interplay and there's also the hope that maybe one day, I, I don't know, it's only a hope. And, mm-hmm. and I think for me, that knowing that, I'm back to this, that Jesus washed Judas' feet. I, mm. I think that's, that's. I'm going to hold on to that. That mm. 
the love that he had for has for me and us and all the disciples was there for Judas as well. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. he was also at the Last Supper. Well, other things that we want to say, anything? I find the concept of glory quite difficult to grasp. Maybe that's maybe that's right. Maybe you shouldn't be able to grasp mm. the concept of glory. Although, did we not talk earlier on, John, about how the glory of Jesus is seen in yes. the normal everyday? Yes, and we that, did. He's just done the ultimate revealing of his glory. Yes, yes. <laughs> um, in the in the washing of the feet, this is who I am. Yep. Is there not a thing as well of the glory of God is seen in the human being who's fully alive? Mm. That's a quote. I can't help but thinking, sorry to, we've we've already alluded to the Lionesses winning, but we, we're also recording this after Ailish McColgan. Yeah. Are you going to talk about her and Jen's gem? No, no I'm not. Uh, but do, do you know that moment where she just goes over the line and her arms go into the air? And it's that moment of, at last, I've I've done the thing that I was meant to do, which was to win a race just as my mother won it or something like that, because she's always... There's something yeah. about her reaching the moment of recognition that this is what I was here for. That that glory, glory is the moment yeah. at which we shine because we're yeah. we, God and, is fully present. And we would use that word. We would say it's a glorious moment for Ailish. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And and yes. I've I've followed her on Instagram for about a year and a bit, and and I've seen the progress of her training. She's very open about all the different elements of her mm. training and where she goes and how she runs and all the other different stuff she does. And and I just. Having known that, I, f- I felt the glory even more because yes. I, I knew the story that had led up to a wee bit. Uh, yeah. That's good. So you, you two, I think what we've established is you two understand it a little bit than I do. What? <laughs> but that's helpful. What, the glory of Eilish McCulkin? No. <laughs> oh, the I term wish, glory. The, the experienced glory. Yeah. Exactly. A 30 minute 10K. I mean, I'll yeah. dream of that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, it's like a yeah exactly yeah um great well listen thank you very much to both of you uh jen we're gonna have a gem from you yep and uh but before that what's our takeaway jen i think yours might be what you've just said about judas's feet yeah it is Uh, yeah i think i think i've always just felt a bit i felt really sad for judas that he was assigned this job in life that that's been my overriding feeling for judas and I think I've just had a wee glimpse of something slightly different in reading this chapter again. So mm-hmm. I'll go away with that. And, and and whose feet, and for me, whose feet do I need to be washing better? Yes. Yeah. 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 Neil, you got a takeaway? Boxes and chairs. Boxes and chairs. <laughs> <laughs> you want to come and help me move boxes? I'm always moving boxes. <laughs> <laughs> Very... Yeah, it challenges me to to really serve people. And and the 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 start of the the farewell discourse is the washing of feet and the command to love. Uh, mine is the the flip of that, I think, which is the allowing Jesus to wash your feet. Mm. So to really understanding the depth of God's love mm. and allowing Him to do that for me, with no strings attached. Yeah, yeah I think that's my takeaway from today, which has been been great. Um, good, Jen. What is your gem? As you've heard, I've just returned from a Scripture Union holiday at school campsite right on the beautiful uh, east coast of Scotland near North Berwick. And my role there was to help uh, 56 young people aged from 10 to 16 
to engage in the Bible. We were using Joseph and the Triumph of Grace and the journal that goes with it. And I, I've come away from that event um, uh, really rejoicing in the amount of questions that the young people asked. And I would all, you'll know if you've listened to the podcast before that I love questions. But last week, um, I, I, there were so many questions from the young people, more than I can ever remember about faith and God. And um, I, I'm working at, I'm trying to work out why that is the case. I think there's a couple of reasons. I think the way we dealt with the questions that were given to us, uh, with confidence, honesty, uh, no embarrassment in a natural way, um, encouraged the young people to ask even more questions. And so the, although we weren't just saying any que- any question, doesn't matter, they actually knew that was true. And so uh-huh. they could ask any question. And so we had questions from, did Jesus have a moustache? Um, to why does genocide happen? And we dealt with both of them in in a different way by answering them but in the same honest this is a relevant question I think that really helped and I think the rest of the team got that so it wasn't just me that was presenting that but the team were all in it and so I've come away and I've I've led led and been part of so many residential events over my life and I've never known an event where there was so many questions um on the beach in the last night around the bonfire I just sat with one first year boy who just asked me question after question after question uh, and I thank God for those questions. And I pray that they, all these young people will keep asking those questions and they'll have people in their life who can help them explore those questions and they'll keep talking to God about their questions. So whatever situation you're in, your context, encourage questions uh, and answer them honestly, openly, uh, in, in a real way without pretending. Um, there was one night we had the most crazy upfront game where people being dressed up as brides and grooms and then I was invited up to answer some questions and the first one was in genocide so they just went <laughs> in this ridiculous context but they immediately switched the young yeah. people into the right mood to be exploring that question so yep treasure the questions lovely Lovely. Thank you very much to both of you. Uh, now, thank you, everyone, for listening. Listeners, don't forget you can let us know your thoughts. Don't forget you can email us at outspoken at scottishbiblesociety.org. And uh, for those of you who don't like to be caught off guard, don't forget that in a couple of weeks' time, Jen's going to be away on her South American trip. Um, so Neil and I are going to be joined by a different guest, and there'll be more information on that next time. But in the meantime, to both of you, thank you very much for joining me. Thank you. And, thank you. and uh, see you next time for John chapter 14. 